Welcome to the Rising Tide Leadership Podcast, where each week we simplify the complexities of your leadership journey. Hey, everybody. Thank you for joining us for another episode of the Rising Tide Leadership Podcast. We are so glad you are joining us today. We have a great show in store for you. So we encourage you to download the show notes and follow along if you can. My name is Amber Jordan, and I am here with Dr. Michael David Morales, aka Mo. How's it going today, Mo? Hey, what's going on, Amber? It's good to be here, and I'm excited to be talking about leadership as always. So let's do it. Well, you know, one thing I've noticed since beginning to view things through the leadership lens is that I see leadership everywhere. So even watching TV or watching movies, it seems like I'm always thinking about the leadership angle. And I was watching a movie the other day, an old movie, Tommy Boy, which, you know, you you don't typically think of as your leadership (laughs) (laughs) go-to. But Tommy Boy, who's played by Chris Farley, you know, who is known for his just kind of crazy physical comedy. Um, You know, he's in this movie and he accidentally inherits his father's company, his auto parts company. And, you know, he's this kind of barely graduated from college guy, comes home with all of his stuff in a trash bag, like really not interested in (laughs) business or management or any of those things. But he inherits his company. And so the board members immediately are just like okay, what do we got to do? The, the auto parts store is the only thing holding the town together. And they just know they're no, there's no way they're going to hang on under his leadership. And so they decide to sell. And, you know, Tommy Boy just comes in and he doesn't know what he's doing, but he knows that this really is the only thing that the town of Sandusky has going for it. And the employees that he calls family, like he just cares too much about them. So... Even though he doesn't have the skills, he doesn't know what he's doing, he steps up and he he shows up for his people and for the town and eventually ends up saving the day and, you know, it all works out great. And so even though we're not going to look at him and that example and come up with a lot of how-tos of leadership, I think the fact that he showed up, that he stepped up, when people needed a leader and he did whatever it took to overcome his own problems and his own obstacles to get it done. I think that's really important to leadership. And so we're going to spend a few minutes today talking about the fact that leaders are there when you need them. So why don't you tell us a little bit about why that's so important? Wow. First of all, if you haven't seen Tommy Boy, you've got to go watch it like now. Uh, it's such a wonderful uh, movie, and it's, uh, again, why the 80s and 90s are so awesome, <laughs> yeah. right? <laughs> but, you know, most of us uh, have been employees at some point in our lives, right? And so the, the fact remains that we have to answer to somebody, right? If you're married, um, then you have to, marry, you have to uh, answer to a spouse. If, if you're a kid, you got to answer to your mom or your dad. Um, if you work at a company, you probably have a boss or a supervisor or both or, or several or whatever, And so you have to make sure that you um, are ready to be accountable to other people. And I remember when I was growing up, um, I was the oldest child and my mom was always stricter on the rules for me than my friend's parents uh, were for them. Oh my gosh. And it was the worst being, being the the first, you know, the oldest child, because, you know, they're like, they're just kind of like, well, how do we do this parenting thing? And so they're doing the best they can. Right. And so I was always a kid who had to be home first. 
and all my friends were just ready to go out and have fun. And um, they would drive me to my house. I remember this all the time. They would just drop me off and I'd just kind of watch them drive off to do whatever epic thing they were about to do. Um, <laughs> but, but I guess it worked out in my favor because uh, now I know what my mom used to say, the phrase, nothing good happens after midnight. Uh, <laughs> and she probably saved me from getting in some of that trouble. Um, I mean, but come on, all, all, all the fun and the experience. I mean, you know, you got to go through that, right? It's, it's the experience that you got to go through. But my mom was like, no, um, you know, if, if, if she let me do that, it probably would have uh, not worked out in my favor. So what, what I'm getting at is this in the workplace. My guess is that you fall somewhere in the middle. I don't know. You might be toward the bottom of the middle, uh, the top of the middle, but you're somewhere on that totem pole. And, and whether you're toward the top or the bottom, um, you know, in fact, some, some of our, uh, some of our listeners, they're, they're business owners. And so when I have conversations with them, I'll always ask them, you know, the phrase, you know, when, when you are the one uh, who's in charge, you know, what does that mean? You know, so how does it feel to not have anybody to listen to? And they're like, are you kidding me, Mo? When you are the boss, you don't have just, you know, a, a couple people to answer to. You have a thousand people. And I'm like, what do you mean a thousand? They're like, well, everybody that you sell a product or service to, they're your boss. And I'm like, oh man, that, that sounds like a lot of pressure. And they're like, yeah, it is. So, <laughs> so I guess the question is, um, wherever you are, you know, are you going to be ready to lead? No matter where you are on the totem pole, that's what's important uh, for today. Because the point of today's opening story that, that Amber told um, is that it doesn't matter where you are or where you lie within the company, you're probably going to be called at uh, on some time to lead. And just like Tommy boy was, uh, he had to be ready. And so um, in your career, if you haven't already been called to do so, you're going to be called to lead. So the question is, are you going to be ready to lead when the time comes? And so with that being said, today we're going to talk about just a couple of ways to put yourself in a position to be what Max Dupree calls in his book, Leadership as an Art. He calls it a roving leader. And a roving leader can be, can be defined as one who responds swiftly and effectively in times of uncertainty or trouble. Because everybody's looking for leadership. Everybody's looking for leadership. It doesn't matter where you fall in the company chain. When it comes time to make a difference, anybody can do that. Well, if we're going to be leaders that respond swiftly and effectively, what are a couple of things that, well, I know we have a couple of things that are going to be really helpful and important for us to know, but what is the first one that we need to know? Today's first point is this, roving leaders are there when you need them. And I, I love to read stories about underdogs and people who have had the world against them. And these men and women, they're the ones who inspire me, always have. And I recently watched an older documentary on YouTube and the documentary is called the Brady six. And uh, Amber, I know you are not a big Patriots or Tom Brady fan because you are 49ers all day, every day. So you know, bear <laughs> with me. Um, but, but this doc, this documentary is about the six quarterbacks that were chosen before Tom Brady in the 2000 NFL draft and kind of what happened to them and their lives. And of course, you know, about where Tom Brady ended. Right. <laughs> and it's really inspiring because you know, I, I, even though I'm not necessarily a Patriots fan myself, I'm totally a Tom Brady fan because he's always been the underdog. In fact, in some ways, he's still the underdog, right? Even though he's won several championships. And I mean, gosh, the, the guy's older than I am. And he, he may, I know you don't want to hear this, but he may, you know, win another championship or two, right? So I guess, I mean, really what I'm saying is uh, I, I don't have any reason to make uh, excuses. <laughs> <laughs> but the reason I bring up that documentary is... Even though Tom Brady started 
out literally as the lowest person on the totem pole in what you know football teams call the depth chart. He practiced every day as if he was the starting quarterback. And he was going to be ready when he got his chance. And to make a long story short, he ended up moving up in the depth chart. And then there was this fateful game where Drew Bledsoe got hurt. And it was Tom Brady's turn. And he was ready. And even if you're not a football fan, I would imagine that you would know that, you know, Tom Brady's done pretty well since then. And, you know, the, the thing is, if he was not ready to do that, we might be reading a completely different story, not just about him, or we might not even know who he is, but it might have changed, you know, everything in football, which was kind of crazy to think about. So w- one of my favorite books, uh, in fact, on, on, uh, on my top 50 books list is called The Magic of Thinking Big. And if you have time only to read one chapter from that book, my, my advice, Amber already knows where I'm going with this, is you would skip directly to chapter two, right? And the name of that chapter, Amber, is what? Excuse, I, I, don't, I don't know, but I know it has to do with excuses. That's for sure. <laughs> She's trying to forget it, people, but I know, you know it, you liar. It's excuse-itis, right? right? <laughs> and it pretty much says that for every excuse that you have, you can and should turn it into a reason to do whatever the thing is that you don't want to do. Because as one of my coaches told me early, early on in life, he said, Mo, reasons and excuses are going to get you the same results. Yeah. And as you (laughs) always say, I mean, you can have, you can have excuses or you can get results, but you can't have both or something like that. But it's true. Absolutely. Absolutely. In fact, Benjamin Franklin, uh, another one of my, my, my favorite quotes and my go-to quotes is Ben Franklin said, he that is good for making excuses is seldom good at anything else. Gosh, <laughs> I love that. <laughs> and, and I don't want to be good at making excuses, right? And so I'm telling you right now, this is the last time to our listeners that you can make an excuse where you're not going to be thinking, oh gosh, I need to turn that into a reason and step up to the plate. Amber knows, and now you know. (laughs) And so the next time something goes wrong in your company and they expect somebody to step up, you need to be the one who's ready to do so. But Mo, how how am I going to know what problem is going to arise and how am I going to be ready for it? Well, that's the thing. You're never going to know exactly what you're called to do. That's why it's a problem because nobody was expecting it. If we were expecting it, we would have been ready for it. But that's what leaders do. Because if you can have the mind frame, the mind frame to be ready to take action, trust me, you're going to do just fine. Nobody is looking for someone to somebody to do something perfect in times of crisis. I mean, Amber, you mentioned earlier on that, that Tommy boy messed a, a bunch of things up, but he got the job done. He stepped up when they needed him to step up. And so what people are looking for is, is action. And Amber, I know like, I know that you are an activator on the Gallup Strengths Finder assessment, right? And so you're the person um, who, who likes to get things done. And, and what I love about that is you're willing to screw it up a little bit, right? Because we can fix it on the way, but when problems arise, I've always just told you, I said, you just got to get there, get in front. And for our listeners out there, Amber does that great now. She gets in front of problems and starts to be the one that just says, hey, let's work through this together. And so for all of our timid people out there um, or, or people who are not activators, and I'm not an activator by any means, don't wait for things to be perfect and think, well, I, I have something, but it's not perfect, so I'm not going to say it. No, no, no. Get out there. Do it. Step up. Everybody's afraid. We're all afraid. We've all got fear, but you need to have the courage to get in front of it. And so when you can tackle and view those times of crisis in that way, 
it's going to push you to be a person of action. Yeah. And I think, you know, for me, I don't, I don't know. I don't know if it's just my strengths, the way I'm wired, or if I learned it somewhere, but I just somehow innately understand that when you're the leader, or if, even if you're not the appointed leader in a room or in a crisis, but when something happens, if you panic, they're going to panic. And so I found that just oftentimes I might be panicking on the inside, but just to stay calm (laughs) helps other people stay calm. And then the ideas will come and the decisions that need to be made will be made. Or if it's just, there's somebody in the room that's like, okay, we don't know what we're doing. We don't know exactly what needs to be done, but here's what we can do. We can figure this out. It brings the, I guess, maybe kind of just the panic in the room down. And then all of a sudden, everyone starts to have ideas. And then that's when you can, okay, yeah, that one's good. Let's do that. Let's try that. Okay, well, we don't know. Let's see if it works. But when you're, when the leader is panicked, then nobody can think straight. And so that, that's. And you know what, Amber, what's important with that is that, well, again, one, one of my, one of my favorite uh, analogies for leadership is that. For leaders, we have to be like the duck, right? On the top of the water, you just look poised and, and like you're just going along. But underneath the water, you're paddling and you're paddling, you're paddling because you're trying to get things done. So be like the duck, you know, look, I mean, don't don't fake it. We, we talk about don't fake it till you make it, but really just have that poise, but then get things done like, like the duck does underwater. Yeah, absolutely. Because <laughs> it's just recognizing that when we're panicked, we're not thinking clearly. But what if somebody can help other people be calm, then you can, then they're going to come up with ideas and you guys are going to be able to work together as a team, which I think really leads us into our second point. So why don't you tell us what that is? Today's second point is this roving leaders practice interdependence. All right. So you know what it takes to become, uh, or, or what it means to be a roving leader now, right? And so how do you take it to the next step? Well, the most influential leaders that I know are going to be the ones that are interdependent. Independence is good. Dependence can be good as well. However, leaders are interdependent. They practice both and they put themselves and their teams in positions to win when they can be interdependent. Explain interdependence for for us. What does that mean? Sure. So, so for, for the purposes, the purposes of this point, you know, the, the definition of leadership and interdependence is this leadership that is not handled carelessly, right? It, it's it's shared, it's never given away. Okay, you wanna share leadership, but you don't wanna give it away because then you don't have to have control over it. And it's not about being a control freak. It's about, hey, I need to give some of this away and let people do what they're really good at. And so we need to learn how to share all of that leadership. So now now that that we, we, we know that, you know, we can't be stingy in leadership. It's actually the opposite. Because when we give away leadership, we refuse to give away the responsibility, but we let people into the process. And, and right, the process is always the most important part. And whether you're the boss of your company, a high-level executive, or anybody else in the middle, when there's times of crisis for whatever reason, and you are given those reins of leadership, you need to know how to tame the beast. You need to know how, how to bring it all down. Like we were talking about, you know, you're going to be frantic. There's going to be things that are going to be going wrong you have to make sure that you share that leadership correctly. So m- many people know that leadership, you know, uh, they, they, they want to take all the credit and they want to give away the blame. <laughs> That's not how it is. It's actually the exact opposite. 
Because when I hear people saying that, I think to myself, well, that's not the leader. And if you truly want to be a person of influence and a leader that other a leader that others look up to, you need to resolve today that you're never going to put the blame on anybody else. Period. As soon as you start to push the blame around, then you've just communicated to everybody. And when I hear stories about that, that you're not the leader. Because there's nothing that annoys me more than somebody who, who pulls everybody t- together and starts making excuses and saying, well, you know, this is why, I mean, they, they start bringing doomsday, right? Well, this is why we're going to fail. And I'm like, gosh, don't do that. Just get out of the way and let somebody else lead. So, you know, I, I guess the question is, what about you know, those people that aren't pulling their weight, right? I mean, what if they're not doing the things that they need to do? And what if they are being detrimental to the company? You're going to be shocked to hear me say this, but you know, um, if you uh, are not astute enough to understand um, why somebody on your team was about to fail or did fail, then it's not their failure. It's your failure because the real failure, the real responsibility is on your part because you're the one who puts them in that position and you allow them to fail. And I know you don't want to hear that out there because you want to think, well, if so-and-so would have done what they, what they were supposed to, well, we would have been just fine. Well, that's probably true, but who put that person where they are? So if, if you were a better leader, then you would have figured it out and you would have put somebody else in that spot. And I know that probably stings to, to hear that, but it's really true because it, it's those people that fail that we need to kind of either help correct them or get them off the team. Because it's your failure to have somebody in, a, in that spot in the first place. So again, the responsibility falls on you. Well, Mo, you said, you know, it, it's your fault that you have them in that position. But what do you do when you're handed a team and you didn't really get to pick who was on that team? What a great question. And in fact, I'm not going to tell you where the story is uh, for our listeners out there. But 21 Irrefutable Laws of Leadership, John Maxwell talks about this in the first uh, company that he went to and he had to be the leader and what it was like to be handed a team. And guess what? He didn't make excuses. He made changes. And here it is. That, that That's a great lead into one of my sub points, which is this. Roving leadership demands discipline. And discipline is what it takes to get the job done everywhere in every part of life. Nothing short is going to be good enough. Nothing short of that absolute discipline is going to be good enough. So the question is, what does discipline look like in your sphere of influence? What does discipline look like in your company? You know, are the people that that look to you for leadership and, and look to you uh, to influence them, are they uh, are they put in a position to understand the discipline that you bring to the team or do they have no idea? Because you need to tell them what it takes to get the job done. So I'll illustrate by this. You may know that I've been for a, uh, a swim coach for the better part of my life. And now that our leaders are kind of listening, they, they kind of know that, yeah. And I love using sports as an, as an analogy for life. And when I talk to young people about what it takes to win in any kind of youth sports, everything comes back to discipline every single time. And what I love is that kids are so forthright about just pretty much asking you, you know, coach, what is it? You know, I, I, that, that all sounds great, coach. Thank, thanks for that wonderful speech. Now, what's the shortcut? <laughs> and I always tell them whether it's a short conversation or a long conversation or usually several conversations, which it, it always ends up being, is the answer is this. You've got to be disciplined. There are no shortcuts. And as uh, uh, one of my favorite coaches of all time, Nick Saban, Roll Tide, says of Alabama, he says, the shortcut to the process is the process. I mean, that's it. And so the reason, Amber, that I talk about communicating to students about uh, student athletes about discipline 
is that it, it's no different for adults either. <laughs> when I meet adults in life, whether it's somebody um, at the top of an organization or somewhere in the middle or, or, or somewhere towards the bottom, I always ask them, you know, what does it take to be disciplined in your company? And people ask me questions all the time. And a lot of those questions answer that, those questions that adults ask are the same as my student athletes. They always ask, Mo, what's the shortcut? <laughs> that, that's always the masked question that they ask me, but that's what they're asking. And, and the question of, you know, oh, Mo, what, what do I have to do to take the shortcut to get these results? And of course, the answer is always nothing short of discipline is ever going to be good enough. Yeah, you know, it's, gosh, everyone's looking for the easier way. And it makes sense. I mean, it's the path of least resistance. Like we we want something that's gonna not be that hard, yet we respect the people that do the hard work. We respect the people, um, you know, you talked about underdogs and, you know, we love those stories, those human interest stories of somebody that just beat the odds that wouldn't give up, that wouldn't stop. And yet there's just something in us in human nature that just wants to skip the steps. But that's, I think, why it's so important that the leader is resolved to be the person that models discipline because nobody on your team is going to be inspired by watching you always try to take the shortcut. If anything, they're going to be discouraged because you're never really going to get anywhere. And so that's really, it's really important for leaders to do, but it's not easy, is it? It's not. And and I, I'd like to end this point with just maybe a couple of questions and, and, and here, here are those questions. Who are the people that you work with? And who are the people that you depend on pretty much on a daily basis when you go to work, when, when you go into that cubicle, when, when you go out on, onto the, onto the work line, who are the people that, that you depend on and depend on you? Because you're not going to get very far unless everybody's on board and moving in the same direction. And just be, if there's no real leadership there, kind of step up. You don't have to tell everybody, well, I'm going to be the leader, but just, you know, start being influential, start having those conversations because whatever company you work for, there are some kind of results that you're looking to, to fulfill. You were hired to get results and, and, and to get a job done. And the more people that I talk to, I realize that everybody is going to be looking for the shortcut. So if you're the person who's looking to make the team better and get the results in the right way, even though it is painstaking and nobody wants to be the one to say that it's going to take this discipline, then you're going to be the one that has those hard conversations. And trust me, people are going to start to rally behind you. And then you will be the one in your company that's going to make the real changes. Yeah, well, you know, my my daughter, who's a newer swimmer, she just happens to have her number one strength as discipline. So she has um, kind of coined this summer, the summer of discipline for me. And I think everyone <laughs> around her, we're all going to wow. learn to swim. We're all going to do the things that we need to get done. And, you know, watching her discipline, which I think <laughs> is just like when we watch leaders, watching somebody else do it, um, man, it, it's encouraging and it's inspiring. And so that's the kind of leaders that we want to be. So Mo, before we go today, do you have any final thoughts for us? I do. And it, you know, when it comes down to the condition of your attitude and the level of competence that, that you have and bring to your team, you know, these things together, the attitude and the competence, those two things are going to shape your experience and, and the people in your company are going to be able to look to you, hopefully for that kind of leadership, because you're going to know what to do and you're going to know when to do it, right? Because it's, it's, it, leadership is an art 
And if leadership is an art, then there is an art and a science and you need to be able to balance both. And so as you become a roving leader, as we talked about today, others are gonna wanna do the same. They're gonna say, wow, I, I wanna be more like this person. And believe me, when I say this to you, um, that, that, that when you start to do these things right, people are gonna seek you out. And at, and at that point, without even wanting to move up the levels of leadership, because it, it always it brings more responsibility. So sometimes we're like, I just kind of want to stay here, but it's not, you're not gonna be able to do it because you're going to start doing good things and people are going to want to follow you and be influenced by you. And you're going to move up those levels. And that's when it gets fun. Well, that brings us to the end of this episode. Thank you everybody again for joining us. And we look forward to seeing you next time. Thank you for listening to the Rising Tide Leadership Podcast. Highlights and resource links are available for you in the show notes. We hope that you will join us next week as we continue on the leadership journey. Don't forget to like and subscribe so you don't miss out and share with others so they don't miss out. See you next week.